Welcome to Two Hypnotherapists Talking with me, Denise Billen Mejia in Delaware, USA. And me, Martin Ferber in Preston, UK. This weekly podcast is for anyone and everyone who would like to know more about the fascinating subject of hypnosis and the benefits it offers. I'm a clinical hypnotherapist and psychotherapist. I'm a retired medical doctor turned consulting hypnotist. We are two hypnotherapists talking. So let's get on with the episode. Okay, let's get on with the show indeed. And Denise, please introduce our guest for this week. This is my new friend, Anne Sokolovsky. Is that how you pronounce your name? Great. Okay. Anne is a physician as well, and she is in the Midwest in Kansas sometimes and sometimes in South Dakota. And she's uh, an interesting physician. A lot of doctors have heard of hypnosis. Some don't have any particular view on it, but she actually came across it when she was a child. And so she's agreed to come and talk to us about her experience on the other side of hypnosis as a, as a patient or client. So thank you so much for joining us, Anne. Yes, I'm glad to be here. So what would you like to chat? Do you, what do you remember? When was the first time you were hypnotized? Or did you watch other people being hypnotized when you found out about it? Well, very interesting. It was when I was about eight years old. That's my general estimate. My mom wanted to go to a self-hypnosis class, but she didn't want to go by herself. Mm -hmm. And so she wanted me to go along. And, you know, I was a kid that was always curious about all kinds of things. And so I said, sure. And so they trained us. In those days, one of the things, the simplest things they did is with the pendulum, where mm -hmm. you hold a ball on the end of a string or the end of a chain, and then they would ask questions and it would go in certain directions to answer the questions. And then they would walk you through different questions. And I, that was sort of an exercise to get you into the mindset before they went ahead with more training and hypnosis. And so they did what today might be considered basic visualization and putting yourself into sort of a hypnotic state to make you more susceptible to the visualizations. So we mm -hmm. learned to do that. And then the other thing was my mom needed to have some surgery I don't remember what the surgery was, but she went to the hypnotist who had done her class and had him give her um, the idea that she was going to go through the surgery extremely well and there would be no problems. And that's exactly what happened. And so after that, whenever her or my grandmother needed to have any kind of medical procedures done or dental procedures done, they would go to the hypnotist beforehand and they would get the hypnosis station to show that everything was going to go well and that they would have a good outcome. And yeah. it was amazing. They recovered really fast and they never had any complications. And that sort of taught me to use hypnosis myself. Mm -hmm. Do you practice self-hypnosis? I do visualizations, mm -hmm. um, yeah, which I consider sort of self-hypnosis. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I was a kid, I discovered if I did the sort of trance training, hypnosis training, right before I went to sleep at night and visualized what I wanted 
to have happen that things would go in that direction. And I used that all through medical school when I was studying and I've used it when I've been dealing with other problems and things. It, it's been very helpful. Hmm. Have you have you ever used it with patients? Um, not specifically saying that I'm doing hypnosis, mm -hmm. but I have worked with patients that are open to the idea of mindset and have walked them through various things that they could do. Mm -hmm. um, one example was someone who was dealing with someone who was really obnoxious at their workplace, was causing them a lot of trouble. And one of the techniques I had learned was to imagine a bubble around yourself protecting you so nothing harmful could get through. Mm -hmm. And so I was telling them how to do that. And they came back to me and they said, as soon as I started picturing the bubble, the person just, and I hadn't, they hadn't said anything. The person that was bothering them just said, well, if you're going to be that way, there's nothing I can do to deal with you and left. And, <laughs> um, and so they, they came back and said, well, that was amazing. Now I just do that. And, and they always leave me alone. Um, I thought that was pretty cool. What else can you tell us about your childhood? Were you born in Kansas? Yeah, I was born in Kansas. And um, I'll say one of the things that was good about it was that my family was very open to things like hypnosis and um, alternative ways of looking at the world, alternative mm -hmm. medicine. And I mean, in those days here in the United States, there's a big divide between MDs, uh, medical doctors, and ODs or DOs, um, osteopathic doctors. And we went to an osteopathic doctor who would do the manipulation of, you know, like the neck and the back and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so those doctors weren't, weren't well tolerated by the general med medical establishment for a long time. So, you know, from the time I was growing up, we did sort of alternative med medical. I, I really... I really hate that term. It's not alternative if it works. Yeah. It's complementary. Complementary <laughs> or integrative. But you know, yes. I started doing it in the days it was still alternative. <laughs> and so that has stuck with me. When I went to medical school, it actually ended up being a liability because, um, well, one of the things was that when I did my training, I started out wanting to be a veterinarian. And I did the pre-veterinarian training, which has a lot of training on nutrition. Mm -hmm. And so when I went to medical school, I had all of these alternative therapies, integrative medicine therapies in my mind um, from my upbringing. And I had all this nutrition that I learned from my pre-vet. And so I didn't fit in very well with the traditional medical training because I would look at things and I would wonder, you know, why aren't you doing this or why aren't you doing that? And those mm -hmm. were things that, that people didn't particularly like. And, but I think, you know, like 
not looking at the nutrition behind an illness or not looking at the mindset behind an illness. And I remember in one case, um, when I was doing a cardiology rotation, we had a woman who was having really bad chest pain and they couldn't find a cause while the cardiology testing was fine. And I pointed out that her chest pain started exactly one year from when she saw her mother collapse and die from a heart attack. And I said, you know, don't you think this anniversary of this death would be a cause for her to be having all this chest pain? And maybe we should look at some ways to see if that's what's going on and help her deal with it. And the cardiologist got quite mad at me and said, you know, we don't deal with that kind of stuff. We deal with the real world and what's going on with it. Right. And, um, and you know, that's a case where I think using, you know, possibly something like hypnosis or using some kind of uh, integrative medicine therapies would have been very beneficial for her. Right. And I, I suppose that she was sort of a, a delayed broken heart syndrome. Yeah. I, I can never remember the book. Yeah. yeah. I think the anniversary of what happened brought it up for her. And, mm -hmm. um, and so in my training, it was frustrating. I went to a medical school that was very strongly against any kind of integrative medicine at the time I went there. And so I was always kind of the, the outsider to some degree because of that. I'm getting the impression on you were about 30 years ahead of your time when you were in med school. You know, here in Kansas, things are very conservative and that's mm. still very true. And so there was a lot of interesting stuff going on in the East and West Coast in the United States. But the people in Kansas, I had one doctor say, we don't do that kind of voodoo medicine here. Yeah. And so um, that kind of stuff was not very well looked at by the medical people. But even 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 though psychiatrists are well accepted as medical professionals, like most people, <laughs> so you would think that the the effect of the mind upon the body would have been at least the nodded at. <laughs> the psychiatrists where I went to medical school did not do any kind of psychotherapy. They would send people to psychologists, but they were strictly there for providing medication. Yeah, and. So that that's what they focused on is what medicines they could use for psychological concerns. Yes. Mm -hmm. One of the interesting things I did was um, when I was in medical school, we did have the opportunity to take electives. And I met an anthropologist. She was a wonderful woman. And so I did medical anthropology. And my medical anthropology was to go investigate other healing systems in the area. And so as a part of that, I went to one of the people who eventually produced one of the first books on the keto diet. I went to a spiritualist event where they were doing, um, you know, the spiritualists like the old fashioned seance type people. Mm -hmm where they were doing spiritual healing of people and a variety of different things like that. 
and then wrote it all up as um, medical anthropology and got accepted as credit while I was a medical student. And that was pretty fun. I got to, I, I investigated float tanks. I don't know mm -hmm. if you. I have been in a float tank. They're very good. And, very and, calming. Yes, I loved that. And, you know, and then when I did the float tank, I could get them to play. They had videos that they would, they would play up on the screen. Oh. And so I could do sort of self-hypnosis in the float tank. You'd be really relaxed. And then mm -hmm. whatever was on the screen, you would really respond to. And that really got me through medical school. I had a, a year-long membership in the, the float tank where I could go in up to three times a week. And, you know, that- Right that, when you're sleep deprived. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But- I don't know any place around here that has float tanks anymore. It's kind of lost mm. favor. I thought it was a very beneficial thing. And it really ties into doing hypnosis. If you get a place like what I went to that had, they had a screen inside the tank where they could put pictures, but then they also had audio recordings of different things. So if there was something you wanted to focus on, like healing, or I, I never did it, but I saw they had one on how to improve your golf game. And <laughs> so it was amazing the variety of topics they had that you could either listen to or they would do a little bit of visual thing inside the tank. I don't know how they did that. But um, it, it was a very good experience. And that went into my medical anthropology project was doing that as well. Um, so... Uh, sometimes even in the worst system, there are ways to get around. Mm -hmm. Do you feel this is limited now? It's in school now. As much. I don't think as much, but recently I've been doing telemedicine mm -hmm. and which is seeing patients by video and sometimes by phone. And our company is very, the company I've worked with has always been very rigid as far as what they allow us to tell patients. Mm -hmm. And if it's not on the official medical guidelines, then... So it's probably the attorney's version of what you should be doing. Yeah, but but I often will just go ahead and tell patients other alternatives. You know, I'll usually say, do you want to know any alternatives to this? And some of the people will say, no, just give me medicine. And some mm -hmm. will say, yes, let's try something else. And I I will then say, you know, this is what I would do if I were you. And I have recommended hypnotherapy to people as well as other types of therapy. What, um, what kinds of issues have you recommended people for? Um, panic attacks is a big one. Mm -hmm. um, because there's a lot of people who have panic attacks. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes uh, situational things where they're trying to deal with someone and they're feeling depressed or they're feeling just a low level anxiety in their life. Mm -hmm. And sometimes with some problems that show up like stomach upsets or headaches that may have a impact on their life that there's other things going on. And so sometimes I've recommended, well, try this, 
I also recommend some things sometimes like acupuncture and nutritional things. During yeah, acupuncture, acupuncture is getting a, a lot more mainstream now. It used it to be woo-woo, but yeah. Yeah, I, I learned acupuncture. And when I tried to do it in the state of Kansas, it was considered not appropriate to do. And now it's very common here. Mm -hmm. When I was doing it, it was 30 years ago. And at that time, it was still considered kind of out, outside the mainstream. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, that's that's been pretty amazing. I'll tell you one way hypnotherapy doesn't work. Um, if you want to hear my failed experiment. Please. Uh, We're going to be honest and transparent about things. <laughs> so, so when I was a kid, when I was... This is probably I was in my early teens. I thought, well, if I can do this self-hypnosis self and visualize things and have these good outcomes, then let's see what else I can do. And at that time, I had a tooth that had a filling in it. And I said, I'm going to grow a new tooth. And <laughs> so I started visualizing a whole intact tooth instead of the tooth with the filling. And I would do that every night. I did that for months. And then the tooth broke and <laughs> I had to have a cat put on it. Yeah, whole and, tooth. <laughs> and I had a whole tooth. <laughs> and I didn't like how that came about. And <laughs> But it taught me, one of the things it taught me that I've always considered the rule for self-hypnosis and visualizations is that the universe will manifest it in the easiest ways that fit with the um, physical laws of the world, that it's not going to be a miraculous, you know, something totally different in this world that it's going to happen. It'll come about, but it'll come about some way that fits with the natural mechanisms. So mm -hmm. that was a good lesson for me. And I was sad that I didn't grow a tooth. <laughs> so you got the whole tooth, just not quite in the way you imagined it. <laughs> Which is exactly what I was visualizing. Get a whole tooth. So, oh, do you think? Do you, do you think that Kansas is still less likely to investigate things like that, or is? The yeah, east and west coasts are still the ones that are driving the things. Yeah, you know, I see people here in Kansas. I've seen physicians and medical people who've been open to integrative medicine. And there is, there's much more here than there used to be. But I still see practitioners who say this just is not a welcoming environment and they leave to go east or west. And, mm. and so I have seen people feel kind of isolated in doing integrative medicine, but it has grown a lot. We've had some support groups for integrative medicine and we had one group that met pretty regularly until COVID hit and then we weren't able to continue our meetings, but um, it included mostly people who did things like Reiki and, you know, different, different we have, integrated medicine procedures. 
there's even a specialty board now for lifestyle medicine and for culinary medicine. It's not quite at the board level yet, oh, yeah. but it's getting there. Yeah. We have a really unusual situation in this country, Anne. Um, we have the National Institute for Clinical Excellence who recommend hypnotherapy in many things like IBS, for example. But then we have the National Health Service that won't pay for it. <laughs> oh. yeah, yeah. yeah. Hypnosis is the number, the first thing they're supposed to offer for IBS these days, but not, not to have to pay for it. That's good. Yeah. And I think that would be a good idea, really. Yeah. I, you know, I think that, that, I don't know about any clinical trials on that, but it oh, sounds quite a few. <laughs> I'll send you some. <laughs> I'd like to yeah. see that. There's a the Duke University have a whole protocol, twelve week protocol for IBS. Oh, okay. So, so you always knew you wanted to be a doctor, but you thought you were going to be a doctor for animals first. Did you have lots of animals when you were growing up? Yeah, we did. Um, dogs and cats, and my youngest sister won a pony. Um, she went to the fair for her birthday and she, they were, they were giving away a pony. If you entered a raffle, she told wow. me, she said, if I win the pony, can I keep it? And he said, oh, of course, because he didn't think she Just would. would yeah. <laughs> when they called and said she had won it, my dad was in total shock, but we lived on several acres of land. And so my sister built, she herself built a little stall for the pony and Lovely. she took that pony and raised it so we had quite a variety of, of different kinds of animals that we had and i wanted to be a veterinarian i i was really in tune with a lot of animals and then when i went to to school here in the united states becoming a veterinarian is much harder than mm -hmm. becoming a physician they the classes require a much higher grade point average yeah yeah most places now and and a lot more anatomy there's <laughs> a different anatomy for all sorts of things yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. that was kind of fun i i really like the comparative anatomy and i i thought that was beneficial and then it was just i knew I didn't quite have the high enough grades to get into veterinary school. Yeah. And I also got some practical lab experience with large animals like cattle and horses. And I was like, you know, being in knee deep in cow manure was not so appealing. <laughs> I, I've never met you in real life, but you're not particularly tall, are you? No, you know, five, six. But, you know, getting covered with cow manure was like, I had to burn my clothes. I had to throw them away. And boy, I thought, well, I'll go through a lot of clothes if I go through this path. And so for a while, I worked in a lab. And it was a very interesting lab because I had an office in the lab and the other half of my lab was cows. Um, it was it, cows that were being used to test drugs for dairy cattle mm -hmm. to help prevent them from bloating. And so I shared my space with a couple of cows. That was kind of fun. 
and but it was kind of like, what am I going to do with my life? And then I had a medical visit and I was complaining about the doctor. And I said, you know, he really didn't address my problem. And my friend said, if you think you're so smart, why aren't you a doctor? Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I can go to medical school. I never thought of that. And so I had to take a couple of classes to meet the pre-qualifications. And I did, and I applied, and I got accepted right away. And so that was a whole change. In, yeah, yeah. You're a vet just for one animal. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's what the veterinarians say, yeah. 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 So I'm I'm going back to when you were in med school then. What were the ratio of um, males to females studying to be doctors? Oh, probably a fourth were female. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was about and that. Now, and now the the same medical school, it's a little bit more than half. Mm. Yeah, yeah. There's been a big change, although still in the administrative and the highly paid ones tend still to skew masculine. Some of that is the the mummy track, as they call it, part of it. But yeah. most of it is just prejudice, un, un, unintentional. But I think most people, it's unconscious bias mm. they give. But so, what made you go into family practice? Was there a particular? Well, I started out in psychiatry. I did a year of psychiatric training, mm -hmm. and my impression of psychiatry at that time, I had a very limited experience as a medical student in psychiatry, mm -hmm. but I had more of an impression there would be some things like psychotherapy and some things like that. Mm -hmm. But the school that I went to was very much focused on what medications to use and even doing um, electroconvulsive therapy, ECT. And I didn't feel comfortable with all of that. Mm -hmm. And so after a year of doing that, I took time off. I was pregnant at the time. I took time off to have my children. And then when I went back, I decided I'd prefer to do family medicine. Mm -hmm. um, it still allowed a lot of that interaction with patients, which was nice. And the other thing is I get bored easily. And <laughs> I like to investigate a lot of different things. And the nice thing about family medicine is that you are exposed to a variety of things. And so I dealt with, you know, in a typical day, I might see someone who's dealing with Alzheimer's and someone who's brought in their newborn baby to be examined. Mm -hmm. And, you know, someone who has a stomach ache or a cold, it'd just be a variety of things all through the day. And I really I liked that. I, that's one of the things I like about it. One of the advantages, I think, is that you can be the doctor for the whole family. And so the yes. way that that family dynamic affects illness can be really, really useful if you have that background. Can you believe we've more than filled an episode up? <laughs> is there anything you would like to tell us about other than what you have said so far? Um, keep an open mind. Mm -hmm. And talk with patients and see what they're open to and are you are you seeing clients for coaching at the moment yes. or is that something yes, I am. So, so you must you must give us your information for that so it can be in the show notes 
So anybody, particularly people are listening from Kansas, but anywhere in the world, if you could have an internet connection, right? <laughs> right. And so right now I advise they go to my email, which is A-N-N-S-O-C-O at gmail.com. Yeah, we will and include that in the show notes. And in the heading, put coaching or, mm -hmm. you know, something like that. So I know that it's not spam. And I am working on getting my website up, but that's probably going to be about a month down the road before I'll have that up and working. And, and meanwhile, I am doing a limited amount of coaching. And most of the time when people contact me, what I'll do, unless they have some really major or specific concerns, is just do an initial consult to figure out where they're at and what things will be the most beneficial for helping them. We'll have to have you back in a few months so you can tell us how it's going. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's been a, a real pleasure. It's, it's lovely to meet another doctor who says, have an open mind. <laughs> <laughs>